take two. <laughs> this camera's beautiful, but um, I don't know, it corrupts my drivers, I think. Um, but like this episode with Zoom, the old uh, Zoom want their money back, or the investors do. I think uh, those same investors that invested in Zoom might have uh, also invested Snapchat or uh, Facebook and seeing their numbers aren't that good. So they're like, hey, Zoom, can you make some money? There's guys like the Staggeror that are using, you know, two-hour meetings on Zoom and not paying for it. Can we get some money out of them? <laughs> I remember uh, late 2019 telling my mate Morgan about Zoom. And he said, what do you use? I said, Zoom. And he's like, oh, yeah, that sounds good. And, of course, the price rose steadily leading into COVID and then took off, went to the moon at the start of COVID. Everyone was using it. Um, lots of people invested in it. Now it's uh, now it needs to make money. They want some return on that investment because you can't just sell your shares to the next willing bidder <laughs> or something like that. Um, yeah, so we recorded about four different um, Zoom meetings for this podcast and uh, eventually Andy's headphones broke out and so we called it there. But meandering chat, lots going on. Um, we talk about Kent Mulligan, who's behind... Modern Pirate, which you can get 10% off using the code that's in the show notes there. Um, we talk about NFTs and cryptocurrencies. So if you want to get into that, there's a $10 referral code there in the show notes. Um, with that share market, there's a $5 referral code there. Investing made easy with sharesies. Um, and of course, if you need some brain food but you don't want the jitters, check out the Drink Ripa, 20% off with the code STAGROAR. Not to mention uh, 180 Projects, so again we talk about them. Uh, the gymnastics rings, also chalk, liquid chalk. Great stuff there from Cam McDonald, who of course is the cousin of Andrew McDonald, Macca, Mr. Max Books, and there's 20% off both of those in the show notes. So it's all there. Um, hope you enjoy this conversation. As I said, the old Zoom was a challenge, so we'll have to find a way around that. Um, or maybe we'll just pay the odd 300 bucks and go Zoom Pro. What do you reckon? <laughs> you guys might need to use a few more of those referral codes for us to, uh, to back that up. <laughs> get some ROI. But like those those Zoom investors, get some ROI. No. Um, meandering chat with, with uh, Andy Ross. Absolute bloody legend. Check out his uh, new artwork, The Moving Goat. Maybe hound him, maybe make him make it an NFT. <laughs> Andy, get on to learning about these bloody fandangled NFTs and cryptocurrencies, mate. Or uh, pets, pets for the metaverse. That's what I reckon you should do. Anyway, let's get into this chat. Hopefully I've edited well. Enjoy. Yeah, I did. Just yeah. let me turn my phone off. Oh, bloody hell. Me too. Just all the things. Yeah, yeah. totally all the things. How the bloody hell are you? <laughs> good, mate. How are you? It's been a while. Yeah, bro. I'm pretty good. i got one day left in my current job. so. Oh, really? That's and awesome. It's, it's a diabetic clinic, so that should, you know. Take care of itself. 
as they say. Yeah. yeah. Yep, that's right. So um, that's take, awesome. Take and then it. you're going into partnership with. Well, not immediately, but yeah, yep. that's that's the uh, the pathway, the journey, all those things. Yeah, there's there's a clause in my contract that after three months we'll we'll get into the into the business stuff. Have that's a chat. awesome. Yeah. Yeah. So take it. Um, you're not allowed to come here yet. Or have, have I don't know st- what the rules are. Have they stuck the poison in you, Andy? No, they haven't. <laughs> <laughs> I so haven't, still I haven't got COVID. You haven't even got it yet. Ca- no. Jeez you're, geez, you're a hermit. I know. I mustn't have any mates. <laughs> <laughs> how, the, how do you... Oh, no, there's still, there's still people here that haven't had it yet. Yeah, no, so I've been one of those, like, it's just been one step removed everywhere I, everywhere I go. Yeah. So, yeah, it's kind of cool, whatever. Had, had any near misses, like, been around people that have gone, oh, mate, better, better lay yeah, low. I've, yeah, definitely, and been put off work and, like, go and get tested and um, go and see friends, and then they're like, oh, everybody that I hung out with last night has COVID, you've got to go and get tested. And, yeah, just put her off a duck's back. Mm. No worries to you. It's, it's kind of nice. Yeah. <laughs> so, it's, um, yeah. it's it's either uh, cannabis or or uh, or uh, psilocybin does the trick. You can don't don't worry about horse pace. Yeah, it's probably ca- it's it's probably cannabis. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I reckon. So they say. You know, binds yeah. those, binds Alleg- those, allegedly. Allegedly binds those ACE two receptors and says, "Covid, get out of here. I'm here." You go away. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> pass, pass on through, jog on, mate. Totally. So you, you still able to wrap poo tubes? Ah, uh, yeah. There's loopholes to everything. That's good to know. Yeah, there's loopholes <laughs> to everything, and um, no, pretty much the mandates are almost done here anyway. Mm. So um, yeah, I haven't been. I've haven't been working massive jobs, but I've been working, which is nice. That's nice. That's nice. And yeah. uh, mate, did you did you cast your vote, or, or were you Bush and? Yeah, gone? I did cast my vote. Holy I heck. did. So does that Didn't mean get um, a democracy sausage at all either? Oh what? Was do they not have a voting booth at Bunnings? No, it was too early. <laughs> I was too early. <laughs> Is that like it every every time think a democracy sausage, or just this time? No, they just run this thing where they like. The local whatever charity group or whatever runs a sausage sizzle at the polling stations and people just call them. It's just got this name of go and vote and get your democracy sausage. <laughs> lovely, lovely. So, yeah. So it was, yeah. does, does this mean that um, Dan Andrews and the central government are on the same page now and, and the old old mate out in Western Australia, McGowan, Mark McGowan, they're all on the same team now? Or is it just oh, I'm pretty sure, It doesn't yeah. even matter. Yeah. Well, it doesn't. I mean, COVID kind of proved that it doesn't matter what what the what the boys at the top say, because the states are going to take their own little lead and do what they want. So it's yeah, it's an interesting scenario. I don't. Um, I went and voted just so I didn't get a fine. It's not. I, I feel like you get fined. Like you, yeah, you get fined like eighty or a hundred bucks or something if you don't vote. I think in New Zealand yeah. you, you can get a fine if you're not enrolled, but. No one's forcing. Yeah, well, if you're not enrolled, you can't get a fine. So I've got mates who've never enrolled, and and they're they're fine. But they've got so, a passport. I've, yeah, they've got a passport, and um, I've missed a few just because I've been 
over the years has been like, oh, I'm in the middle of nowhere doing something or I totally forget about it. And, I'm, and, and then I, so I'm like, oh, there was an election. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But living in Melbourne now, it's, you know, it's fucking hell. The amount of money that the Greens spend on plastic signs, it's quite amazing. <laughs> <laughs> well, as I was going to say to you, I'm just currently getting in um, my uh, carbon heavy dinner before I get, you know, can't buy any more food. One, because it costs too much, but two, because all the food I buy is so carbon heavy. Like, um, are you, are you excited, right, excited for your new credit card that's going to track your, your carbon carbon credits, Andy? Yeah, it's the Doconomy card, it's called. Doconomy. Um, Doconomy, yeah. I think a MasterCard or Visa or something, but yeah. MasterCard, um, I think, was the, on the picture. Is it MasterCard? Yeah. Mm. Um, no, I'm not excited for that one bit. I'm not excited at all. I'm actually a bit worried about it. I'm worried. I'm, I actually, like, I've been doing that thought experiment of the cash economy and what that means. Yeah. And, I, I mean, the big one is, like, drug dealers. Like that would be the biggest cash economy in the world. What are you talking about? The like, bu- beauticians and laundromats. That's their legit business, isn't it? Right? Sh- sh- yeah. Yeah. Sure. Sure. <laughs> and artists, right? But I mean, <laughs> and artists. Yeah. But everything there, like, just going through in in my mind of like, what do what, what do I spend cash on, <laughs> and how do I do I do work for cash mm-hmm. because I'm because I'm a tradie. A lot of the tradies, Saturday and Sunday, they're doing cashies. Mm. They're doing cash jobs. So the hairdresser that's next door to me, he runs half his business off cash. Um, so all all these little little industries are going to. I mean, if you remove the, the the drug dealing one, which is a multi billion dollar oligarch. <laughs> system all of its own um those small little independent people are going to really suffer if that's if that comes through Hmm. yeah it's um interesting like i've been following liam debor about and and we're in chats to get him on because that's that's a sort of interesting thing when when you look at new zealand we're kind of like a year or two behind canada i'd say about five years behind you guys 10 years behind the rest of the world, sometimes even reckon 15 years behind lots of the UK. Sure. Because, you know, a lot of our pol- uh, not politics law sort of comes down from the UK, but it seems that the old politics, everyone wants to follow the US for some ungodly re- reason. But yeah, you sort of look at look at Liam DeBoer and what he's doing with, with how, talking about in Canada, and, and you look at, you know, again, back to these, these meat credit cards and World Economic Forums that are going on, and and you look at Justin Trudeau, and you look at Jacinda Ardern, and you go, these two are the same bloody people. And yeah, they're the same. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, but then when you talk about cash, like New Zealand's this test case where we've been using FPOS since like the early '90s or something, maybe even late '80s, and like PayWave was a thing. Like before I came over to you guys, we were, we were, we've been well entrenched with PayWave, and like in New Zealand, yeah. I think we can two hundred, maybe even two hundred fifty dollar PayWave, just like. Tap your card and well, off your off your fucking off go. your off your phone as well. Yep, phone card. Yep, just yeah. Tap it on the the old two hundred and fifty. 
It might be 200. 200. They, they extended ours is, a, ours is 100. Yeah, they extended it uh, uh, during the old lockdowns, of course. That was a good excuse to, to be even more contactless, but, you know. Sure. I mean, well, Canada was a test case for proving that they could just lock down everybody's bank accounts <laughs> they didn't like. <laughs> Blo- blocking um, GoFundMe, was it? Yeah. yeah, well, they blocked GoFundMe, but they also then somebody hacked the GoFundMe or whoever the donation people was site and release the information of who the people were that, don- that donated and then the government closed their bank accounts. Oh, I see. So the people that had donated and they got their... They got their bank accounts shut down and the truck drivers and everybody who was protesting and who stayed in Ottawa, they also had their bank accounts closed. The, mm. the businesses, yeah, it just... It, it went through to people like there was a there's a story of a lady who owned a cake shop or a muffin store and she donated two dollars to go fund me and they closed her business account so she couldn't actually operate her business anymore. Do any transactions. Imagine that yeah. at the end of the month being like, um, I've got I've got and received, I'm a functional business, but I can't pay you because sure. the government has frozen my bank account. I'd be like, you fucked. Yeah. Yeah, because I because do- because I donated two dollars to to something I may I may or may not understand. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Depends yeah. depends which uh, news channel I'm watching whether I understand. Or yeah, that's that's right. <laughs> but, yeah, but then, then it's kind of course... nice to be like in Australia and New Zealand. Though we're at the bottom of the world, so like because the world is currently so upside down, we're mm. actually. We're at the top of the world. <laughs> <laughs> Only. Yes. I don't know if you know, Andy, the world is a sphere, so there is no up or down. That's yeah. not what I've heard, bro. <laughs> <laughs> Should look into it. <laughs> sure. Sure. Oh, man. So you said you like, must have no friends. Uh, like, what's, what's actually been like the social scene since old Dan relinquished a tiny bit of his powers well my social scene in the city is pretty much dried up i've I'm just been out in the bush and just hanging out with the with the posse of boys that i hang out with when i'm in the bush and um yeah it's been fantastic little small gatherings and things of that nature and since i've been back uh, i mean i haven't what did i go to i went to I went to a movie premiere the other night and that was the first big thing with like 500 people or 300 people that I'd, that I'd been to in two years. I hadn't been with that, that many people. So mm. what was, was the film? It was, pretty, it, was, uh, it was called Surfing Visions. Uh, uh, it was a big, it's called the Big Wave Project. Mm-hmm. There's this guy that's um, Tim Benython he's gone around the world over the last six years just documenting all the big waves around the world and um he he does a every few years he does a big screen australian surf film tour that just goes around all the capital cities and all the big surf destinations and yeah super amazing film it was just one of those things where i was like oh if he's got these big waves like you know tahiti and nazare and portugal and stuff like that to see it on a big screen is way better than seeing it on your monitor at home or yeah it was it was, it was amazing so and were there people riding the waves or were we... 
yeah, yeah, people riding the waves and, um, you know, documenting all the crew, how many people it actually takes to surf a 100-foot wave at Nazare and stuff like that, like what the organisation behind having one person ride the biggest wave in the world actually is. Yeah, it's yeah. quite impressive. <clears throat> Over 17 people, bro, it takes for one dude to to ride a wave with the safety crews and the jet skis and the guys on the beaches and, it, yes out of control pretty expensive <laughs> yeah i'd say are they sort of bound to the whole like red tape sort of sort of vibe like especially like if they're off the coast are they are they bound to anyone like obviously it's people's lives they're bound to the laws of the like the jet ski riding laws and the boating laws as right. well so and they've gotten to the point where they know that they're doing stuff that's so stupid and ridiculous that they have to supply their own ambulance and medics and everything on site mm-hmm. because they can't rely on an ambulance to be there if some guy's drowning in, you know, 70-foot surf. They need to get him to the beach, resuscitate him and have crew there ready to go of their own so that that's, so that this, you know, because safety is obviously the biggest issue. So, yeah. Mm. And do they go into the training much? Like, I know a lot of these guys are E4. No, nah, not a lot, not a lot. Uh-huh. But, I mean, I've watched that sort of stuff before, but, you know, yeah, it's, they, they, all that breath-holding stuff and, yeah, yeah, crazy, probably crazy meditation and breathing exercises and things that they do before they go out. And, yeah. Have you ever been able to get out yourself or no? No, I've never even seen a wave over about 20 foot, 25 foot. I don't, mean, I don't mean for big wave, bro. <laughs> standard, standard surface. Um, yeah, it went a couple of times. I can't remember the last time that I've spoken to you. It was, a, oh, I think, probably August, before Christmas or New Year's. Yeah, it was. It was yeah. Yeah, more like August, August, September or so. Yeah, yeah. Might it might have been while we had another bout of of uh, staying at home. Yeah, around sure. There. Yeah. Yeah. A little lazy lockdown period. <laughs> <laughs> oh, what a vibe! Like, well, you haven't been lazy. No, no, no. I've I, seen I, you lifting weights in your underpants and yeah, garage. I, and... I got, I got. <laughs> you know, um, I was on another. Oh no, actually, I was on my own podcast. Yeah, with Mickey Willard, and I said I, I took something off the old rich list. The um, the barbell and, and plates in, in your in your garages it's outstanding and sure also yeah. bought, got some of those um 180 projects gymnastics rings as well they're pretty handy they're amazing eh yeah you still got used to got your yoga swing yeah <laughs> i've got my yoga swing and yeah <laughs> chin up bar and my artery range and yeah kent yeah. uses those, those yeah he rings does. every day yeah, yeah. So i came, came across them they're bloody yeah. handy He's he's over here, but um, I think he said he was off to go fishing this weekend, so he's going to be driving past the bloody door. But you know, too, too sure. busy, too busy, Kente, mate. I've, yeah, <laughs> I know he's too busy. But yeah, I think he's seeing his family and hanging out and stuff. I didn't get to see him. He'd, he'd been in, he'd been over in Thailand or whatever, six yeah. or eight weeks or something like that, and then he came back for two weeks. So I just didn't have a chance to go and give him a hug and say hi. So yeah, yeah. no, you, I think he had had a nephew on his on his. Instagram last night making 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 Indian I think it was Chef Chef Kent sure sure he can cook yeah bro and and like how's your culinary vibes going there in there in the Mandian pretty basic bro <laughs> pretty basic 
meat and hardly any vegetables. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, same old, same old. So I've actually been um I haven't done it myself, but my best mate lives at the end of the street and um he's been doing up these tuna heads. Ooh. Like yeah. cooking a tuna, cooking a whole tuna head. He gets it from the markets for like five bucks and does up these Japanese ponzu sauces and just mm. base it for a few hours. But I'd never had it. Just a head of a fish. I'd mm. never eaten that before. Some of the best. It's probably the best fish I've ever eaten. Like, yeah. You do. And I just hassle him all the time. I'm like, oh, Benji, when, let's do one of those. When are you going to do another one of those up? Um, old Tim Caverman that runs Eat What You Kill. I don't know if you've come across that. Yeah. He... he um, he had these guys up in Auckland that actually um, set up at the marinas and take people's fish heads and fish frames, and they yeah, right. and they smoke them up and, and give them out to the local marae up in Auckland, and they're trying to sort of expand that out to the rest of the country without sort of compromising the awesome work they're doing in Auckland. But yeah, they're called uh, kaiika, and again, that's like for one, it's about people, you know, only taking three fish and using the whole thing. And two, mm. when people come back from the from fishing, then you know they're not putting things to waste, and so they they're grabbing good quality fish heads and fish frames and smoking them up and giving them out to needy people and feeding them. And yeah, that's like, awesome. Like you say, like getting an awesome um, resource that's delicious if people really, you know are game enough um, and, and going for it. I remember uh, one of the restaurants in Hamilton it was called Madam Wu. They had a um, on the menu just whole fish. Eh? It was it was awesome. Like yeah. eating everything and again sure. if, you, if you're game enough you even chuck an eyeball in which which i didn't do but i probably should have <laughs> yeah i've had one off the off the big tuners that's quite mm. amazing but that part behind the eyeball yeah in between the cheek or just off the hook yeah like, but the looks you get when you're like walking out of the markets <laughs> with a with a massive tuna head people just look at you like you're crazy and it's it's like five bucks like That's you amazing. Can feed, you can feed six or seven people of one of those massive tuna heads. Yeah, like, yeah. It's it's amazing. I, my oven's not the biggest, but I have seen the old um, at the supermarket here. They got the old pig's head going on. Oh yeah, I'm keen to give that a go one day. I think, I think yeah, I've never had that. I think I'll probably have to do it by myself. I can't imagine Nicole's game, but she'll probably listen to this and be like, "Yeah, I'll have a pig's head with you." But <laughs> sure, sure, stick an apple in its mouth and <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't know. I don't know who you'd look up for that sort of sort of recipe. Maybe, maybe. sure, just YouTube it like everything else. You yeah, get a fourteen, like... you get a fourteen-year-old Korean kid teaching you how to do it. It's <laughs> <laughs> like every other tutorial on YouTube. It's some yeah. some kid that's half your age, and <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's just as well these fourteen-year-old Korean kids have looked up YouTube and learned English because I, th- I think uh, sure. me me going the other way might might be a bit difficult, eh? Yeah, sure. Do you know Do you know any other languages, Andy? No, it's just Australian. <laughs> <laughs> that, that variation of English. Sure. Yeah. So what, no. what about? What and it's about one you? of those. It's. Don't you think it's one of those things that, like, when you when your parents when you're young, and your parents say, "Oh, you'll regret not doing that when you're older," and you look at them like they're a fucking idiot, yeah. and you're like, "What do you know?" And then you're actually older, and then you're like, "Oh fuck, yeah, that would have been so good." Did your dad yeah. know anything else? 
Uh, he knows like fluent pigeon. Oh wow! What, did he go up? Yeah. Did he go up to um, Papua New Guinea or something? He was born in PNG. Wow. Yeah. yeah. What was the yeah. vibe there? I don't know. I haven't been there, but pretty in Port Moresby and around that. How old's my dad? Seventy years ago. Hmm. Imagine would have been crazy. Why? Why was he born there? What was? What were his parents doing? Uh, my granddad was working for the um, Royal Air Force. Mm-hmm. And he was based there, keeping keeping things in inverted commas order. God knows. Yeah, safe from the Japanese, mate. Yeah, back then. Yeah, on the on the old lookout. Man, that would that have been hectic, eh? Like even even New Zealand, there's there's stories about that. You know, apparently the old submarine came down here and had a geese and people in the little um, what were they called? Like dugout dugout lookouts and. and Gun pods. They were they were on the on the lookout. We had um, at the start of Maori language week last month. Last month, there was a bit of a documentary about um, the Cook Island community, which is plenty of it in Tokoroa, um, and just like young boys being put out in the middle of the jungle just to sit there watching with a radio. And if anybody came sure. by, came by, ring back to to Wellington, but call it in, call it in. But they they sort of got. They got a bit sort of. Uh, they didn't get any medals. They didn't get paid the same. They didn't all the same skills, but yeah, sure. a, bit a bit of a rubbish, rubbish agreement they had. You know, classic Big Brother New Zealand didn't didn't uh, treat them very nicely. Still the same. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, what, what was the what was the deal with Anthony Albanese's first day? Like, had the Aboriginal flag, but meanwhile something else was going down. Do, do you know? I don't know. I, yep. I, I haven't really paid attention to that whole political side of, <laughs> like, on the national front. Yeah, I'm, I'm still paying attention to what's going on in Victoria, but on a national front, I'm just like these two clowns. You know, <laughs> like everybody's like, don't vote for these people. Don't vote for those people. It's like it's it's not like the corporations that run our country. Are, are changing to a different corporation. Yeah. We're just changing the face of who's there. So it's, you know, it's just going to be exactly the same situation. So, so, so from your opinion, who do you think's running Victoria and Melbourne? And then who do you think's sort of taking control of Australia? Mm-hmm. Like, surely, surely um, the, the mining guys, but like Rio Tinto and stuff, have a pretty big influence over the majority of Australia, right? Do you think the sure, Murdochs? Do you think the Murdochs do, do yeah. as well, or they're just the ones yeah, that, are, that are benefiting from this? Um, that's a pretty big question. The Murdochs would be the middlemen, wouldn't they? <laughs> they're the one just like sowing the narrative. Um, I think creating the narrative at the same time as sowing it. Um, it's. It's hard to say because, I mean, we don't have this big military-industrial complex of of things. We're, we've got mining mm. and forestry is probably our main source of income. Um, so politics prob- possibly would be on an equal playing field apart from who wants to get what kickback from what mining company to make what decision. Mm. Um, and who those mining companies have got in their back pockets as far as the polit- politicians are concerned. But then on a state level, like Daniel Andrews is definitely 
running Victoria. Mm. Um, and Victoria doesn't have huge mining interests. So, I mean, we've got forestry and farming and agriculture and stuff like that, but none of those are big enough to probably have any sway inside of what he's doing as far as the leadership role goes. I know that the CFMEU has a big, they're in and out of each other's pockets as far as like that's the biggest labour union in the country. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's a challenging when we, thing when to we, really know, you know. When we talked last, that was shortly after that CFMU sort of protest, if you will, that got a bit nasty and people kicking and fighting and other people sure, running, out the back out door, running out the back door and stuff, which turned into yeah. sort of three or four weeks of occupations throughout the city. But like in the city, there's plenty of sort of banking and, and, and that sort of jazz going on. But again, that's kind of like a just a hub for a national and inter international vibe. That doesn't really run a city. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, no, it doesn't. I mean, it's weird at the moment because we've had a, because we've been closed for two years and we haven't had, I mean, schooling and education in Australia is massive for international students. Mm -hmm. So we have this huge influx or we had this huge influx of Chinese, Korean, Indian, all sorts of international students that would come here to Melbourne to our universities and study. And that costs a lot of money for those people from overseas to come and do that. So a lot of those people are backed financially by their families who send them here to do that. Um, and then that creates investment into our economy where they buy their child an apartment in Melbourne CBD. And then there's a flow on effect of um, grabbing your, you know, doing your degree and then getting a visa to stay here. And then from that visa, you get a job and then you get to stay in the country and then you might be able to bring, you know, get, get, bring your family over. Um, and I know on the Chinese side, it was, if you invested a million dollars into Australia, you could get a visa. So over the last two years, we've had no international students. So we've had all these apartments getting built in the city that I've been working on over the last five, five years, 10 years, whatever. Um, and that's just slowly just ground to a halt. Mm -hmm. uh, um, and we're only allowing people, we've, we've allowed people back in, but um, it's not at the same magnitude as what it was two years ago. So the things that were holding this economy quite strongly, because it's, so many students in there and so many families and comings and goings of of those things that help keep funding the cbd mm. um it, it's it's just slowly just dried up and um yeah the writing's on the wall as far as the construction industry is going at the moment in victoria that's i mean a lot of industries have pushed hard up to the wall and mm. it's going to be interesting to see what plays out over the next few years so i think financially that's not really running our city anymore or our state so yeah yeah are you guys having supply issues like over here um like even like the came in yesterday talked about building a 
building a deck on his house and you know he'd built a major deck three years ago and he was building one half the size that was costing twice the price like is, is that a, have you noticed yeah that because much? people can't get wood yep so same as out here yeah <clears throat> yeah <clears throat> yeah that that ha that has happened i'm not sure if it's still happening but um i know people that were because you know you get these tradies that are on a 30-day invoice period with bunnings mm -hmm. or with with plyco the wood supplier or whoever it is um, and then you've got these old timey guys who are just all cash straight up front. Um, <laughs> yeah. you know, I mean, that's how it works. And then, so the guys who were cash up front all the time, they were able to get wood, but the guys who were on a 30 day invoice period, unless they'd paid up their invoice and were above board with that supplier, they wouldn't be able to get, they wouldn't be able to get stuff. So, yeah. um, that created a bit of bit of turmoil and then at the start of COVID we had the you know a million million ships offshore that weren't allowed to land and a lot of windows and things and kitchens and whatnot that come over from China there were boatloads of those things just sitting out at sea and they couldn't get in so a lot of the construction slowed because you can't obviously plaster and put in fittings inside apartments if there's no windows and wall and you know glass doorways and things like that in yeah. um so one of my mates runs a like a he runs a glass company in victoria and they make they make custom glass and they just went through the roof like they just went hell for leather they've mm. got so much business it's ridiculous and he just turned over millions and millions and millions of dollars so um but yeah i don't understand the supply chain issues apart from the backlog of boats i can't understand the supply chain issues on have you food seen the other, the other end in shanghai and... nah i haven't seen it oh the you know the term for africa comes to mind like because shanghai has been closed down now for probably a month maybe even two there's just sure. all these boats and of course there's all these crates and there's all this stuff that's going supposed to go in or go you know an empty boat that's going in to pick stuff up to go elsewhere that it just hold up with china and i think um <clears throat> many of them have agreements with mm. the ports there so they can't bugger off and go somewhere else and find another job especially if they've got you know stuff on board and so sure. they're just hovering out there and, and many of those crews are probably from you know chinese crews or feeling yeah Filipino crews, Shanghai and all that, uh, sorry, Singapore and all that sort of stuff. So, yeah, it's pretty gnarly. Sure. Yeah. And just, uh, yeah, I don't, yeah. I, I mean, it's it's a challenging thing to understand because it's like Australia's got such a big logging and timber industry. Yeah. That like, where where's it, does it go overseas and get processed and then come back? And why I, does it do that? It, yeah, I think the, your second question is right there. I think the first one, the answer is yes. And then so your second question is, why does it do that? It's a bit like um, our port of Tauranga over here and even for us here in um, Tokoroa, I, I watch logs going on a train north and then, then east out to the port of Tauranga and that's where they're going, just whole logs. Yeah. Meanwhile, you know, yeah. <clears throat> they're shutting down plywood factories and, and timber factories and you go... Well, that was not a very smart idea. No. <laughs> no. And I, I see it on the road when I'm like driving up, to, you know, up to New South Wales or to Queensland and I sit behind a logging truck 
and then one goes past me in the other direction. Yeah. And I'm like, why is he going that way and that guy's going that way? I've been following him for 20Ks where he could have just gone the other direction that that guy was going and saved, <laughs> you know, saved the environment by 50 kilometers worth of fuel. Like, yeah. 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 Now, mate, I did get warned about this the other day that the old free Zooms decided that you can only uh, have a 40 minute meeting. So I might. Oh, uh, really? I might pause there and we'll start another one. Yeah. Yeah, it's too easy. <laughs> yeah. Do you want to call me? Yeah, just call me. Awesome. Yeah, yeah speaking of expenses. Why couldn't they have just paid a regular human to say recording in progress rather than have the robot say it? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, I was oh. going to say, speaking of expenses, you have to, have to upgrade the old Zoom. For, uh, sure. Yeah. Especially, especially if we get in, getting some of these, you know, a few more internationals on yourself, of course. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, the over got, the ponders. Yeah, got, got a got a uh, got to set up a, a date with Doctor Pran Yoganathan again. Um, oh, I think he's just done a trip up to Eamon's property at Broadside Hunting. He went there, didn't he? Yeah, he's, he went there. Uh, well, that's been two years ago when I spoke to him because I was still at my. Flynn Havelock, but yeah, so he'd been there before. I'm pretty yeah, sure he just, he just smashed went, the rut this year. Yeah, he just went back. Yeah, yeah. It's Mate, I'm hanging out to go up there. Yeah, you've not been able to go. I'm at hanging all. out. No. Yeah, one thing leads to another, and um, plans go skew if so. Yeah. So we, we, yeah. where's that problem? It's in it's in the Hunter, isn't it? Hunter Valley. In the Hunter Valley, yeah. yeah. Um, behind just northwestern Newcastle. Yeah. Uh, Barrington Tops. Hell of a property. Yeah. Apparently. Still, apparently. Yeah, looks good. <laughs> he's, yeah. He, he just uh, was over here with a certain Remy Warren. Yeah, last week with Craig, with Craig Pringle. Yeah. Um, the season, from the season. Yeah, what's the vibe there? Again, where, where do you find that show? Is it out yet or no? Just, no, it's not out yet. Nah, it's not out yet. It's going to be off the fucking hook. Yeah, well, it's gonna be off the hook. Yeah, the dudes seen... that he's got on it, and like the things that are going on, and like, yeah, I'm super excited for it. Like, um, I've gone on a, I've gone on a hunt with, I went on a hunt just after they finished up with, um, Mulligan and Pat and a couple of other boys, and um, Eamon was down, and Mitch, one of one of the other guys that works at Broadside Hunting there. Um, Eamon's cousin, Gordon, who's just started a um, guided hunting operation out back of Bright there as well. We all went up the back of Hotham and hung out. And so I got to rat Craig's brain about what the show's about. And, you know, Kent's got an episode and Eamon's got probably one or two. And mm. um, Ben Solaris and oh, some of the best human beings going are on there brad murphy and um pat and yeah it's pretty interesting they managed to get i'm sure i shouldn't say but they they managed to get a over the shoulder shot of one of the boys getting his first samba deer with the bow um, which is which is one of those things that there's not really many people i don't know how many but there's not many people that have got a bow shot samba stag on on video from behind somebody's shoulder before it's just one of those things that are just 
so hard to capture. And so the spots that he's got and the people that he's got is, it's going to be an outstanding, outstanding thing. And Craig's a super lovely, lovely guy. And um, yeah, it's going to be great. That's a good teaser. Good teaser. I'm, I've been teased all, all along and you're just making me more teased there. Andy, sure. So. It's just been a big dick tease the whole time. <laughs> yeah, especially when it was like, we're back. Yeah, you know, him was at Craig Pringle in, in Remy. And I was like, back from where? Like, and as guy said, it's like, oh, is Remy coming to New Zealand? He's like, we've just been. I was like, oh, that was a fucking flying visit. <laughs> yeah, it was stealth in and out. And Eamon just sent me a couple of photos of, of like, oh, New Zealand yesterday morning, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, oh, fuck. And he goes, no, nah, I'm already home. And I was like, fucking hell. <laughs> yeah. And then Craig's up in Queensland with a brand new boat. And the, like Craig's a filmer and the guy that's running the, the whole operation. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, he just landed back in from doing the stuff with Eamon and Remy and then straight up to Queensland, hunt chittle deer and um, yeah, it's, it's on. That's too good. Cause yeah, like yeah. it was almost like Remy was on Joe Rogan you know, talking about like, oh, I don't really have many plans. Want to get back to New Zealand. I've been in Argentina. You know, and then it was like, oh, shit, <laughs> he's been and gone. <laughs> sure, sure. It's tough at the top for some, isn't it? Oh, far out, mate. <laughs> just, just whip whip over the Atlantic. Like, not the Atlantic, sure. but the Pacific. Yeah, don't oh, I didn't even know what they were hunting, but yeah. Yeah, no, there, it was the photo you had the other day, well, I commented on it, you know, an exotic man in an exotic land taking exotic uh, photos of exotic trees, you know, it was just like... <laughs> round round Queenstown somewhere, yeah. But the old um, Douglas Ferris wilding around that area—they're not supposed to be there. But yeah. anyhow, horrible part of the world, eh? Oh, that's you know that's the other thing, <laughs> isn't it? Like tough, God's tough, country. tough spot to zip in and out of, but also easy spot to sure. zip in and out. Of. That's what, that's why it's there. It's for you Aussies to come and bloody ski our ski fields, mate. Because yeah, that's right. Don't don't worry about driving a couple of hours into the Blue Mountains. Just jump on a plane for a couple of hours and. Be right there in the ski field in in, in Queenstown. Queenstown. You know? it's actually, it's actually quicker. <laughs> like from people from Sydney, it's actually quicker to do that than to drive to the snow. <laughs> yeah, and we actually probably have some snow. Usually, usually, there's snow here at the sure, moment. Hey, like up up. Yeah, here. we're just about to cop it as well. Yeah, yeah. That's no, a different season this year. Oh, that's what I was going to say because I was wearing my puffer jacket today. Just over there, and like, have you had a winter yet in Melbourne, or, or is it still coming? Yeah, up? yeah, it's just fully kicked in a couple of weeks ago. It's what do you got? Like it's 19, 19 degrees. <laughs> oh no, it's been sitting at thirteen to fifteen. It's oh. been quite cold, and the mornings have been. I don't know. The other morning was three when I got up, and yeah, it's been icy and frosty three. and snow up on the hills, and yeah, it's 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 coming hard and fast. I think we're going to have a cold winter, so. So yeah. do, you, do you get much of a vista when you when you've got the the snow on on the mountains? You do from some places, but it's not like you can see it from Melbourne or anything like that. So yeah. yeah. How about any of the the big buildings? Can you cap? Is there any high top buildings in Melbourne that you can look over to the hills? Um, not really. The hills are pretty far away. Like the nearest hill is like the Dan- Mount Dandenong, and then. Um, Mount Macedon and stuff like that, but they're pretty small hills in comparison to everything else. And you can't really see past there. It's 
for me to get into the base of the high country, it's a good two and a half hour drive. Right. So, yeah, maybe three, depending on which way you go in. Yeah. But, yeah, I've been hitting those hills pretty hard, which has been nice. Have you been successful? Like, okay, what is... What Successfully is, putting what miles is, on the ground, not yeah, animals. Yeah. No. <laughs> sure. And you've been going with a bow, right? Yeah, with the bow. Um, but I got a new four-wheel drive at the end of last year and I've just been hooning through places that I haven't actually put any time and effort into because now I can actually get into these spots where I couldn't get to before. So I've just been consecutively going, all right, I'll hoon up this valley and then the next one and then the next one and slowly but surely just putting that time and effort into scouting spots and um, this is the time now actually for Samba Deer. It's really come on that I think they've, they shut the gates at the end of the month up in the high country or they've maybe shut them. I'm not sure, but a lot of roads get closed up there. Um, and it's a real, it's a real thing. Like in inverted commas behind the gates is, is a thing that when winter comes and they shut those gates that a lot of dudes like will backpack in. And that's the time when you get Samba that have come off the tops um, the snow's pushed in, so it pushes them a little bit lower. So you can camp up on the edge of the snow line and really glass into areas and know that there's not going to be four-wheel drivers and holiday makers and whatnot getting about. And a lot of guys will go to the effort of actually driving in a couple of, you know, a week before the gates close to wherever they want to go with big barrels of food and water and whatnot mm. and really stock up and bury stuff and, um, yeah, behind the gates is a real thing. So it's just I've been putting a bit of time and effort into kind of trying to find spots and things like that that I know that, you know, when those gates close, I'm not sure what date they close, but um, that I can walk in or go in with a couple of mates and have a few good missions in there and know that there's not really going to be a lot of people floating around. So, yeah. so, so I guess your plan is to sort of scout out a spot that you think is going to be hot and walk there and hopefully pays off. Is that right? Sure, and I've been scouting all these spots that are just like thick, thick as fuck, and you can't get through. And there's hardly any sign there, but it's yep. good to go and see and go. Oh, cool! I've explored that valley, or I've done that thing, or um, and then I forget about things that it's like, oh, there's hound crews and dog areas and non-dog areas, and I'll be like, oh, I haven't driven that one road. I'm going to take Friday, Saturday, Sunday to drive that one road that goes up a whole valley, and then forget that that's allocated for dog squads and you get up there and then you see seven to ten squads of dogs over a weekend and you're like oh yeah well cool i'm not gonna that's why i'm not having any luck because they're just driving deer everywhere and yeah so yeah and a crew of dogs are in there barking up and sending up a valley in in quick quick time hey it's an expensive pastime running dogs yep even just owning a dog's expensive (laughs) sure i'm blown away at these these guys like you see these guys up there and they've got a hundred and fifty thousand dollar 79 series with six dogs on the back of it and they've all got dog collars and gps and garments and they're running with three other four-wheel drives that are all priced at the same price point and they've all got receivers and callers and garments and GPSs and everything like that. And you're like, that's a $200,000 operation to go and get some meat out of the forest. Yeah. Yeah. That's impressive. The old, the old free meat. Yeah. 
Yeah, totally, totally. <laughs> Which yeah, is well, actually a sad thing over COVID. I did hear of guys who, city guys who have, you know, five or six dogs that they run on the weekends and having to put those dogs down because, you know, they only feed them deer and they don't want to feed them anything else and that's mm-hmm. what they trained for and they couldn't get them out and do that. It's really sad. Yeah, bro. So, yeah. You know, I went um, pre-raw, so it was like the first weekend of April and I think it was about 20, 20 odd degrees. I was in a sweat um, and there's people everywhere. I got to the bottom of the hill and the, the Auckland Travelling Club were there with their bus and I was like, oh, yeah, <laughs> that's conducive to... Um, deer being in the area but you know a whole line of trampers walking walking around the loop um and then i went back to this the spot that i'd shot a deer before christmas and sure enough there's a um pig carcass right on the sort of wallow area that i'd I'd scouted out last time so i was like good so that was a it was a successful armed walk um which was good though you know but like you're saying with driving around you connect up a few areas and get, get a bit more understanding of of the way the land works, gets get some confidence, and especially up there, it's reasonably flat and rolling, and so you kind of need to work work out which little creek is which and goes where, and of course they, you know, switch back on, on themselves, and you end up back at the the track that you thought you were walking away from. So, so that's always yeah, that's always, that's always fun. But yeah, the start of next week, so finish as I said, finish my job uh, tomorrow, and then don't start till the first. So going to go over um, to a new area and. Hopefully, I might even be able to drive into this hut, but if if not, going to be like a little 5k walk and along a nice little hilly ridge to the hut and then up behind the hut, there's a nice spur up to a to a clearing and riverbeds and things to look over. So yeah, hopefully I can, maybe, <laughs> that'd be good. First first trip into an area, get, get some inverted commas free deer. Sure. <laughs> yeah, that'd be great. Free venison. <laughs> it's always a good thing. Yeah. No, I've but, seen a few really nice deer get dropped over the last few months. I've been a part of a few people dropping deer, and it's been really nice. Yeah, it's always nice to see your mates succeed, yeah. and yeah, it's good. And did you did your bow club get back open? The bow, yeah, the archery club's open. Um, just a frustrating thing with politics and whatnot and stuff that's happened at my club, but um, I haven't been too much. I mean, I call in after if I've done three or four days of driving around the bush and in and out and, you know, walking through the bush with my bow, I'll call through there on a, when I'm coming home, just make sure the bow's all tuned in. So the next time I go out, everything's all running smooth. And yeah, so just use it like that now. Cause what's the, what sort of side have you got on there? And like, have you tuned up your own arrows or, or is that that knowledge? Yeah, I'll build all my own arrows and tune everything myself and, um, use the bow press at the club and stuff like that. Just got a five yep. pin side on there, and um, yeah. So just want to make sure that none of that stuff bumps out of alignment when you're cleaning through the bush or it's bouncing around in the back of your car. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And can you can you string the bow yourself? Like, have you been able to re- replace that and redo servings and all that sort of thing? Yeah, but I'm not a guru. Yeah, I redo servings and stuff, but I'm not like a guru guru. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'd probably take my stuff. I haven't taken it, but I do need new strings on my bow and I will take it to a guy called Brad Murphy, um, the bow hunting coach. Yeah. Yep. On Instagram to um, do my stuff. Yeah, don't, don't know whether it was through you or independent of you, but yeah, old Brad's, Brad's channel is pretty awesome, man. Eh? Like, oh, yeah, he's, he's a wealth of knowledge. Yeah. 
<clears throat> it was actually very interesting that Gordon from um, North the Northeast experience, he's Eamon's cousin and he, um, he's the start of the guided hunting operation out, out the, in you know, the base of the whole country there. And um, he decided that he'd do a sort of a meet and greet out on his property um, just by the river and just invited you know, whoever wanted to come and see what he was doing, he just decided that everybody needed to be together. And so he got 25 to 30 people together. They just rocked up at his property and everyone sort of gave him some, some money for food and camping rights and things like that. But we had, you know, Brad Smith and Ian Summers and um, Herbie from R&N Blades and, um just mate the team of the team that he pulled together that we had out there 25 to 30 people um just hanging out and talking hunting and you know there were guys there was a guy there the bald chef from sydney who didn't know anybody and he saw it on instagram so he drove down from sydney because he was like oh that's something i think i should be at yeah. came down and he ended up cooking for everybody and um you know, talking to people that have that have got no experience with a with a weapon at all, but they want to go hunting, all the way through to a guy like Owen, who's shot over seven hundred buffalo with a bow. Um, yeah, have a think about that number. Um, and bow hunting coaches and people who make knives and, you know, rifle hunters and everything, just to have that group of people together having barbecues and shooting arrows and stuff, that sort of stuff for me is, is like, that's where I really, really, really feel at home. And um, mm. guys who, you know, like Ian Summers, who runs Cayuga Broadheads, um, to be able to talk through the design process of how he designs his broadheads and how, how he takes it from CAD into a production mold and then does all these things to get it to the point where he's actually producing 10,000 of these broadheads and selling them around the world. And then right next to him is, you know, Robert Herbert, mm. who's been making knives and in and out of the military and the police force and everything. And he makes knives for thousands of people, custom knives that nobody can afford. <laughs> no, <laughs> they can, but, um, you know, just beautiful craftsmanship to, to have that knowledge of somebody who's skinned 200 animals mm. with a certain knife and they're talking to Rob who makes knives about how that actually works in their, with their thumb behind the thing to get in and around a bone. And then the very next converse, that conversation might last half an hour and you, you get to find out the nitty gritty of everything from the steel, the compound, the way that that fits your hand, why it works so well, why you need three different sorts of knives for three different sorts of operations. And then that conversation leads into why somebody makes their broadhead the way that they do. And it, it's just, there's hundreds and hundreds of years worth of experience there in different fields all rolled into one group of people just having a conversation. Mm -hmm. And it, it's so hard to find. Like, you know, I've been hunting, I don't know, five, five years, maybe a bit more, not, not heaps, but to have that 
collection of people together with that experience that you can just ask them a question freely and everybody's just camping and drinking beer and hanging out and shooting some arrows and going fishing and it's just such an amazing thing that I think that the you know you can you go to the expos or you, you know you go to the hunting expo where you go to the um the deer association meetings it's still not that same interaction with from all walks of life from people from queensland and new south wales and south australia and on the border and everything that have all come together under one little thing to just be relaxed and hang out together it's just super beautiful that someone could put that together and and to see the people that came it's like it's a big congratulations to gordon for what he's actually been able to bring together it's like fuck yeah this is awesome yeah, man. Well, it's like you, you started off talking about the surfing film. I know when the Hunter's Journal have done their movie night, that obviously the movies are cool, but then the after effect, effect of that is a couple of, you know, maybe a hundred or a couple of hundred hunters all in one spot having a wear over time and getting together and, <clears throat> you know, ordinarily just messaging each other on the DMs and commenting on photos to actually, you know, be there in person and have a chat. And so, the last two years I've been trying to hold the Seeker show up here and, and so originally yeah. was in Tobor and then it got bought to be held at Mystery Creek, which is where they hold our like national field days. And, you know, it's been pushed back, pushed back and, you know, hopefully end of October this year, um, it's gonna go down. Now the expo is gonna be an expo, but I'd say that it's gonna be one hell of a night in, in Hamilton in between where everyone's gonna oh. come to, come together and let off steam and chat and talk and connect and you know there's a lot of f fellas over here making youtube channels now which is pretty bloody awesome and um you know we've got two two hunting shows on the television spearfishing show on the television on, on oh, yeah yeah and then uh our maori television they've, they've got two or three shows that showcase hunting and gathering for for kai and you know like there's there's a big sort of push for it and then, yeah. yeah and then at the, and then at the same time like, like we said about with the old you know agri agriculture getting getting whipped and harder to get get meat and, and things like that and it's frowned upon and stuff like to be able to go out there and collect it and and have the experience of collecting it and, and communicating it and then you're getting buy-ins from from like say chefs rocking up to a hunting event and saying i, I feel like i should be there you know yeah um, and, yeah and you know he's He's someone that's probably cut up meat, you know, thousands and thousands of times, and you know, then he hears the guy that skinned the animals, then he's seeing the guys that that are, you know, butchering animals and supplying butcheries and things like that. It's, it's just awesome, and that's, again, like with Victory Nice here in New Zealand, you know, they they supply our meat processes, but then they also do hunting knives and fishing knives, and they're back to that kaika. They, you know, they help support them with filleting knives, and it's just, you know, like you say, there's this intertwining industry and again sort of smaller sized businesses that are doing awesome things on a massive scale to be able to have a chat sure and like you said um with Kyogre, they've got the cad cad design that goes into their broadheads that can get things at scale and then there's you as an artist doing 3d rendering on a computer and you're going like, oh, i kind of understand what you're saying about there mate <laughs> yeah yeah and then one of the greatest samba hunters that's ever walked the earth, Chris Bourne, who's must be in his twenties, maybe thirty, but he's a young fella and like not a big strong social media presence at all. 
and sitting there and he's actually a machinist and listening to him talk and I didn't have any idea of who he was. Yeah. And just to hear him talk about machining this thing and I'm sitting there going, oh, I can totally design that in CAD. Yeah, yeah. Like, and, and you got no idea who, who the fuck this dude is, but you're just totally mesmerised by the fact that, like, that, well, this is your community as well, you know? Like, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's super awesome. Um, old, old Brown Dog, you'll you have to get over here and, and go visit his custom turrets workshop because he, he runs a couple of CNC machines for that. And... Oh, his setup looks out of control. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's like these sheds in the world. It, I actually it, sent him a message. It must have been, I don't know, around Christmas or whatever. He, um, he posted something where he'd been out for a hunt and I thought it was his brother. <laughs> and I was like, oh, fuck, your brother shot a nice tar. And he's like, that's my boy. And yeah. I was like, fucking hell. <laughs> I didn't know. Yeah. Well, it's, you know, his boy's getting to that, that age where you can, you know, starts to look adult-like. Sure. I mean, I did watch it. I watched, I, can't, I don't know what they're called, but I came across these two boys last night who were up, these Kiwi boys up in the fucking, up in the ouch, shooting the tar. Was and that weekend, weekend Mitch? I don't know. Just two. One of them's got kind of red hair, but they couldn't have been yeah, more yeah, that, than that, that'd be eighteen or nineteen. Yeah, that's so they're, they're like, the the weekend mish, and so that, that's Gabe Ross. Um, have you ever come across Forty Two Below Volca or Mo, or Moa Beer? Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, so yeah. they're all, they're our man, Jeff Ross. It, um, they now own Lake Howie Station, and so there's there's a deer hunting episode that they've they've got on the back of the property. But yeah, they, you know. Go go tar hunting and and shimmy hunting and um their old their older brother Finn as well um he's he's keen as mustard also so I was very impressed I was like go oh, boys yeah well, and, and like the, the camera is bloody outstanding so I'd, I'd love to know yeah the the technicalities of their of their actual you know film production let alone let alone what the boys are doing to to get out amongst the hills but. Um, that that one when they go hunting at the back of uh, Lake Owe Station, they they colour stag and, and then they get Ant Needle and he's got a good good little YouTube show as well. It's called Hunger for Your Roots and so he's got this awesome mm-hmm. as um, <clears throat> Land Cruiser that uh, some blokes uh, what are they called M2 Overland. They make um, fabricated uh, canopies and stuff for for yep. utes and four wheel drives, and so he's showcasing what they do and all the all the ARB kit as well. Another yeah, awesome, awesome brand, and he's out, out on missions. He's got Cam, Cam from Hunter's Journal filming him, and so yeah, there's and so there's a little bit of crossover with Weekend Mission. I think they're actually on. Where are they? Yeah, there's that Hunter's that latest Hunter's Journal. That's that's them, the oh, yeah. the Weekend Mish boys. Yeah, right. The, yeah, that's Gabe and Finn, Gabe the redhead boy. Oh, it was inspiring. I was watching it last night, going, "Fuck, this is awesome. Good on you, lads." Like, yeah. Yeah, no, they're, they're bloody cool. And so they're, they're the sort of person that, you know, had a Hunter's Journal film night or a, or a seeker show that's just like, you know, just to check, check their hands and, yeah. That, that's what that's what's sort of uh, been cool with the podcast space is growing the equipment. So now I've got three mics and one of those broadcaster mics. So I'm hoping to be set up at the seeker show and just... Sure. Run, yeah. Run, awesome. run through a ton of ton of podcasts with people and just chew the fat. And obviously, I need to get a probably need to update the laptop and get a get a hard drive sorted through us. I'll, I'll cook. Sure. No, it's such a good idea. Yeah, but no, it's gonna be fun. 
should come over. They might, Cindy might let you in by then. <laughs> she might. She <laughs> might indeed. Who knows? Well, there's, there is talk of the, it being, you know, free rain come, come July, but of course... We might be scared of monkeypox by then, so who knows? Oh, it's coming for you, mate. It's all coming for you. I saw, I saw the best one. This was this was a week or two weeks ago, and it was a picture from Queensland Health um, of shingles on on the hand, and then the same picture on some WHO, I think it was website, of monkeypox on of a hand. Monkeypox, and yeah. the same photo. The same photo. <laughs> yeah. I know. And shingles has shingles has become a thing with um, jab injuries. Yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah. Which is yeah, it's. Yeah, my old man ended up with it in his eye, but luckily, <clears throat> like he had been in the optometrist like two days before, so it was possibly that the light on his eye, and that sort of fired it up, and then two days later he had an ulcer, which was not good, but got treated straight away. Oh. Whereas far out. Yesterday, saw an old, older lady. She has had a spinal injury, so she's in a wheelchair. And the GP had had a go, go at it, treating it. And so this was two months ago, and I'm going, oh, my gosh, oh, dear. But I don't, I don't know whether I would have been able to do any better, to be fair. But um, So I just carried on the treatment, tried to get some steroid on there, clear up her cornea. But yeah, it's, mm. it's no good. It's not not good. Yeah. You know, it's not good anywhere, but, yeah, in the eyes, a bit, bit niggly. Yeah, it would suck bad. Yeah. Not only does it hurt, but then afterwards, if you end up with a hazy cornea, you can't see, which is no good. No good. You put an interesting photo up the other day of a like, fluorescent green eye. Oh, that's, uh, yeah. So last week I put a uh, contact lens that I've been trying to design, a big one. Um, yeah. Yeah. So that, that I think, so with that person there, the periphery of their cornea just kind of like flats out, flattens out. So then they end up with a, distorted central cornea so you try to just like mm-hmm. cover the whole thing with this plastic dome basically and that becomes the new surface and so the yep. tears that are sitting there underneath that lens that's what's glowing is the tears they sort of neutralize the power of the cornea and so then you get a new new focus and a nice thing oh, bloody thing need to press the upgrade do it later um but yeah today this this dude came in he's had a heaps it's called recurrent corneal erosion so the surface cells on the cornea don't stick down properly and so mm-hmm. your your cells on your cornea migrate from the periphery and sort of like <clears throat> along the xy axis and then they migrate forward in the z axis and they should be stuck to this layer but they don't and so in the night when you start having lots of rem sleep and your yep. eyes are eyes are dry they your cornea ends up kind of sticking to your eyelid and then ripping and yeah, so that was like big ass, big ass rip from last night. But he's waiting, <clears throat> he's waiting on a treatment where they just basically scrape the whole layer of the cornea off and laser it a little bit, and then that hopefully makes it stick again. Yeah, it's not nice. <laughs> yeah, but so amazing at the same time, like <laughs> yeah. how far it's come, you know. Yeah, yeah. So in the oh. meantime, I just like slapped a contact lens on his. He'd already come in wearing a really disgustingly filthy one. Um, but yeah, put a new one in and gonna give him some drops to hopefully calm it down. Ironically, his other eye, and it's not surprising he got an infection looking at this contact lens today, had had an infection and I guess like the immune reaction and probably a little bit of scarring fixed 
physical knee erosion in his other eye. So wow, he doesn't awesome. Hasn't needed anything from that, but yeah, yeah. What what inspired your goat? Look, I've just been working with these particle generators um, <laughs> on a hydrogen collider, like a, <laughs> pretty much. Like <laughs> it's a it's a part of the three D stuff that I just do inside my art. But it's there's a particle simulator called X Particles that's inside Cinema Four D that costs a shitload of money and I hadn't actually put any time and effort into learning it. Mm-hmm. And um, so I was like, fuck, I better wrap my, I really want to do some things with this. So I really want to wrap my head around it and do some art, make some stuff. And then I'd had that, I'd had the thought process in my mind of making a, a moving an, animation out just out of particles for, ages because i've seen a few things on movies and whatnot where i'm like fuck that effect is so awesome it's super just tripped out and weird and um so i just spent a week just head down tail up i didn't have work on for a little for a few days there and just um just started smashing it and yeah it's just one of those things where you've got something in your mind that you know you can achieve and it's, it was like i just fucking need to get this out of me so that i know that i've done it um and i've been making a fair bit of art lately which has been really nice but um to use this particle generator inside most of the stuff that i've been using it for is just background images mm-hmm. um or, t- or textures or fills for other things or whatever and i'll set up a generator and put some trails on it and make it look really nice but then i'll just use that as a still image to throw into something else that I'm doing. But this one was just like, all right, if I set up this whole scene, um, I can actually then zoom in and out and take stills from that. But I actually need to set up the entire scene of it doing its full process of running and moving and having shit to spray out of it in every angle. And yeah, it's just, I'm glad it's done because it's just been sitting on my computer for maybe a week or more and trying to fit it into I'll come, you know, three or four days off and I'll just smash trying to learn and watch tutorials and figure out how to do it. And yeah, it's just one of those things where I was like, fuck yeah, I did that. <laughs> Hopefully I'll never do it again. And I wrote that on one of my, on the post on Instagram. I was like, oh yeah, cool. This is something that I just needed to achieve and I probably won't do it again. And then one of my best mates is like, well, can you make us a raven? And it's like, <laughs> do you no. Really- You'll be, you'll, be no. making, you'll be making your um, magpies and ravens again, but mate. yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. no, I can't can't be asked with that. But glad that I did it. Yeah. So it's, it's, it's not going to be some sort of three D moving NFT from Andy Living Spirit Design then. No, but, but, but another mate was like, "Oh, you're going to sell that as an NFT," and I was like, oh, "I haven't even taken the chance any time to." even understand what the fucking nft is like non-fungible but i've got man. <laughs> yeah what the hell does fungible mean um but i've got well, mates at, who, at the moment make a much. living off them yeah 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 i've got mates that make a living off them I'm like selling nfts so yeah it's incredible are they yeah. their their own platform or are they on doing it for some type of project or anything like that or Oh, their own artwork, yeah. Yeah. 
yeah, selling their own artwork. But um, yeah, I don't, I don't know. I've, it's one of those things at the moment for me that I know that I should be doing, but at the same time, as soon as somebody says, "Hey, Andy, NFT," I just I shut down. My ear, my ears glaze over, and my eyes roll back in my head, and I just start thinking about something else when they're talking to me, and I'm like, I can't absorb it. Well, that's yeah. not you, you anyway, isn't it? You, you, the way you learn is diving into something, right? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm sure the time will come when I actually like will dive into it and I'll be like, I should have done this ages ago. <laughs> <laughs> Same as everything else. Sure. Now, you're on you're on the sort of the gradual uptake curve. You're not the early adopter, but you're the you you'll transform you'll you'll pick it up when you see it, right? You're you're one of those Sure, but I, I did actually um make myself a crypto wallet oh, yes. a couple of months a couple of months ago. I was like all right, like this metaverse is a thing and I want to buy real estate inside mm -hmm. the metaverse. So I made myself a wallet and I bought some real estate inside the metaverse, which is absolutely fucking nothing. But like, I was like, I just want to have a piece of that just just because. Well, now, now you've like, got like moving images. You, you'll be able to create animals for the metaverse, mate. You know, not just go. Yeah, well, you'll be able yeah. to sell people some dogs for the metaverse. Yeah, yeah. No, it? I'm going to become a metaverse real estate mogul. You know, you are. Really. I thought I thought you were going to be, become a pet breeder in the metaverse. <laughs> no, anything, anything. Yeah, farmer. No, I don't know. Yeah, not, no, not but it took me it took me two days to figure out how to bloody do that. I was like, fuck, ah, this is it's not too bad. It's not too bad. Two days. No, because I heard a story of a guy, because the metaverse gave Snoop Dogg a whole bunch of real estate. Yeah. And then people were buying the real estate next door to Snoop Dogg because he paid somebody to invent a whole world called mm. Snoop Dogg World inside Meta. And then the land that was around the outside of his, people were buying that land for $90 million. Like real legit, real legitimate money. Like, and I was like, holy crap! Yeah, it's like this. Fuck! What the fuck? The time, <laughs> the time horizon on this thing's fascinating. Like, some, something you know, ninety million dollars. Like, how are you gonna? What's the time horizon gonna be like that? You know, you might look at that and go, oh, you know, it's probably gonna be like normal property in you know, twenty twenty years. But then, I don't know. Out of nowhere, it'll ten x and in two years and then the next two years it'll fucking that's right bottom out <laughs> that's right bro yes like, that's right what are you gonna do because my mates who were drawing, buying drugs on the silk road 10 12 years ago who had <laughs> they were buying mdma for fucking 20 bitcoin and they've all lost their wallets or whatever would be multi-millionaires now because 20 bitcoin is worth fucking heaps of money well, I so think last week if you, it was if you watch the progression of that, and then you watch the progression of what's actually going to happen inside of Meta and stuff like that, it's going to be crazy. It will be crazy. Yeah, the um, anniversary of that present buying two pizzas with a Bitcoin was the other day, and yeah. Betty, oh, really? Yeah. Bit regrets doing that. I wonder if the person that sold the pizza still has those two bit. Uh, has those sure, probably. Right? Let's hope so. Yeah, I wonder what. It's so, I mean, the, that's that's fallen the market and that's fallen but i'm sure it'll go back up as well so yeah old um what are those twins they've been boxing um 
the yeah. Pauls. Yeah. Logan Paul and on his podcast the other day, they were, yeah. they, they were talking about how, how broke they are at the moment. And one of their mates on the podcast hasn't done any sort of crypto investing. And he's like, that was my time to gloat it. You guys, you guys are idiots. <laughs> <laughs> sure. People have lost fucking millions. Yeah. Well, especially those boys. They've lost, they've lost millions. Yeah. But anyway. Well, my yeah. next door neighbor before COVID, because Bitcoin went through the roof and he. There it goes. Just as well I got you on. There we go. This. Yeah. Sure. <laughs> so, old mate across the road is an avid bike rider. One yeah. of these guys that has, you know, fucking a push bike for every day of the week. And um, <laughs> Fixie. Before COVID, couple of, yeah, a couple of years ago, I think it was, I don't know, it was when Bitcoin was still below $5,000. And so he ordered a custom a custom-made um, dual suspension mountain bike frame from this guy in Canada who hand-makes them and um, cost him two Bitcoin. So then COVID came, old mate couldn't get supplies, blah, blah, blah. And just three months ago, I saw a... I was, I was coming in from outside and I saw a, a Merida, Merida bike box rock up at his house at, from the back of a courier. Yeah, and I sent him. I sent him a text message, and I was like, "I can't believe you fucking bought a Merida there, fucking shit box." Because you know he's got Cannondale and fucking everything specialized and blah blah blah. And um, he goes, "Fucking don't tell the missus." Sent me a message back. Don't tell the missus. He goes, "I'm glad it came in that box." He goes, "It's a handmade frame from Canada. It cost me two Bitcoin fucking two years ago." And now the price of Bitcoin is like over thirty thousand dollars. So it's yeah. like that fucking bike is like a sixty thousand dollar push bike. Worth, I was worth. Like, Holy crap! Yeah. He's like, don't tell the missus I spent that. Like, sure but at that. least it wasn't six, six months ago, and there would be like a hundred and twenty thousand dollar. No, crazy, crazy. Yeah. So. Yeah, right, right now, right now, it's in a real slump. It's, it's amazing, but um, no, yeah. So, what do you think is going to happen with decentralized currency and a one-world bank and a one-world everything else? Well, that's, that's the like fascinating thing about the old Bitcoin, Ethereum, and then all the other projects is like currently they're just they're speculation, and this is from someone that has a very small, you know, point zero 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 something of of these things and i'm like oh i don't i don't even know you know if on the other hand there is this one world bank and so then what's what's the utility of a bitcoin then like is it just the black market to get away you know is that the cash economy but it's, it's traceable like but then unhackable so i i don't, I don't bloody know the the new zealand government and i'm sure australian yeah no and australian government already tax um bitcoin you know it's part of the um tech system already so i don't really know but yeah i'm pretty sure, sure. But there's a massive underground movement of that as well that i don't know that i don't know if you're aware of that like what do you know um, <laughs> oh heaps of stuff yeah heaps of stuff but there's like allegedly having friends that do things that are a bit shady um yeah, guys going to 
shopping centre car parks with anywhere between thirty and $60,000 and meeting a dude in a car park and handing over that amount of cash to that person and then that person transferring them the equivalent into a um, crypto wallet yeah. and having to sit around for half an hour, an hour, or however long it takes for that transaction to go through and be approved and everything be above board. That, um, yeah, there's these underground um, yeah, crypto traders, I, I would, you know, you would call them, I suppose, that drive around in Mercedes in Melbourne handing over either bringing shitloads of cash to somebody or taking well, shitloads well, of cash, so. cash from from people and you know also saying at that similar stages or we can't we're not accepting i'm not accepting that at the moment because the price of xyz hasn't it's not worth my while so Mm. there's and the anonymity of some of those things of is still available you can get um wallets and things like that that don't have a name or a legitimate address attached to them so yeah so it's like the we're in the origins of the the new bank and it's kind of like well how did you get started as a bank oh never mind <laughs> yeah that's right yeah, yeah you know but, but like, i think that the like it's interesting to to watch all this stuff unfold with you know the world health organization and the and the world economic forums and this global move to be everything to, to, to be globalized mm. um that the 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 people who are the i wouldn't say underclass of society because it's not it wouldn't be the right words but the the drug dealers and the criminals and the scam artists and the there's diff there's just a different community of people that run the operations of those things have always been one step ahead of the law Mm. with out maneuvering with trafficking with moving of money of all of those things so to run the thought processes over the last little while of like what's going to happen with the cash economy like these people are still going to be one step ahead of that technology no matter what happens in and things like that so i think that the the hackers and the computer people and the guys who really understand crypto and how all that works are still going to be able to fly under the radar to a certain degree and um it'll just be a matter of keeping up with the joneses in technology of being one step ahead of those people and you know trying to understand it or know somebody that does so that you still can operate a little bit undercover Um, and where, and whether that turns into, um, people who do want to operate and do cash jobs, will have to find a way of doing those things through other means so that they're not taxed or the government doesn't know that they're doing them. It will just be technology will come along and they'll be able to do that. I mean, you know, as well as I, that when the, when the vaccine passports rolled out that the, you know, people were doing fraudulent things that were allowing other people to go and travel or go places and things like that. And the government is never fast enough to catch up to the reality of those things. Yeah. Yeah, And that's what like is the worrying part of it, you know, like 
I don't I don't get the motive apart from the whole power hungry thing. And it's like, what, you know, why are you so determined to like control a food system, control a health system, control a, and like as part of controlling a health system, it's like introducing these other interventions, which, um, how do you work this? Maybe no, don't have as much benefit as promised, but you 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 put like so much weight on their importance, and and if you participate in it, then you end up, you know, then you can carry on participating in this society. It's just like a, I find I find that a weird connection between like, hey, you've got to have a medical intervention to participate in society, and it's. And you kind of go, why? <laughs> you know, or yeah, why? And then like the oh, you, you know, you need to stop eating meat, and you need to buy from this corporation. And if you buy too much outside of this, well, then we'll freeze it up. You're like, well, why? Why? You know? Sure. Yeah. And then, yeah. And then and well, it's, it's, like, a, it's a very interesting thing all around with like, what are you talking about? We're gonna cap your spending because of carbon credits and carbon emissions because we can track your how much carbon you've been using and it's it's like what happens if i'm working in rural victoria and i'm driving my car to rural victoria to go to work and i've done a thousand kilometer week mm-hmm. and does that mean that i'm not going to be able to get my pay because i've driven to <laughs> work to too work. much yeah 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 yeah, um, and and there's there's like local local economies in like you know um, so I've just opened a new hotel in in Auckland and it's meant that you know hospitality sector in South Auckland where a lot of people do live because it's affordable can now work where they live and it's like well that's a great thing but then it's kind of like well the economy of the city gets slanted you're like what oh that's that's interesting. Um, mm. And, you know, I think Dr. Brown put up today that like the highest 10% of, um, um, no, highest 40% of emitters is like 10% of the companies. And you're like, you know, and then this whole like global economy, well, that means moving stuff around. How are we moving all this stuff around? You know, it's that whole. Sure. And does that mean that New Zealand is responsible for India's pollution? Yeah. Yeah. Like what I was saying was, New Zealand off, offsetting the emissions of India, and like yeah, it, for it, instance, it, it's yeah. it's already like we were speaking about forestry there earlier. It's already kind of happening. Like our overseas investment office allowing Chinese buyers to invest in New Zealand marginal land and plant pine trees, which then get you know time horizons get fouled in thirty years, and then those logs get sent to China, and it's like that whole you know we're talking about like rapid inflation in the world right now. It's whole that whole leveraging inflation you know the chinese citizenship or ccp or something buys new zealand land at set price and say 2000 and we'll go to today 2020 and then in 30 40 years time sells those logs back to new zealand for whatever inflationary price whatever they want yeah it is in 40 in 40 years time and guess what that that debt that they created in 2022 is not so big anymore. Yeah. 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 
But I did I did listen to a guy talk on um, what it would mean in because you realize you've, you, you, it's weird calling them a third world country because they don't delineate it as a third world country anymore. They delineate it as a developing nation. Yeah. So there's no such thing as a third world country anymore. They're developing nations. So um, what the implications would be to give free electricity to developing nations mm-hmm. across the board. So like, cause they still burn wood and they burn coal and lignite to as cook well. and yeah, that's right. So like the, the health of those nations are in not a good place. The pollution in those places are not in a good place. And if you were to supply free electricity to those places, it would mean that they wouldn't have to work as hard for a start because they wouldn't have to chop the wood or go and get the coal or whatever. They'd just have, they'd be able to get up in the morning. The health of that nation would improve exponentially, which would leave room for more education and better education, better health conditions, which then would lead to innovation because they're free of a lot of the time constraints that it mm-hmm. takes to warm and, and keep themselves comfortable. Mm-hmm. And so there's billions of people in those things who could be educated at a better level than what they are now, which then leads to innovation, which then would lead to a better, a better outcome across the globe because so many things would just level up inside of that. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's, it's quite amazing, but you don't hear any talk of like, they're like, Oh, we've got to do this to save the world. But in all reality, there's actually other things that it seems like a lot of people have figured out that would be way better for the world than just crunching down with the World Health Organization telling people what their health options are going to be and how the monetary systems are all going to be sucked up into their one little system. Yeah. And again, it's, it's, it's the whole like why question. Like it, power must be very intoxicating. <laughs> Like it's, wow. you can't relate to it, eh? But like, then they're just people. So it's like, man, is that what I'd be like if I was in that position? That's how you, can, t- you can relate to it to a degree because it's like you see somebody or a really hot woman or something like that who is in their power and you're yeah. like, holy fuck, that person's got it going on. And there's an attraction to that. I don't know what, like, as in the power of, being so financially stable that you never have to worry about money again and you could buy 150 fucking countries with the money that you've got would also be, uh, I don't know how to relate to that, but, you know, seeing someone who's in their power is a very fucking enticing thing. Yeah. Have you watched um, Dissident? Yeah, it's amazing. It's freaky as fuck. (laughs) Yeah, amazing. And then you see the deals that are still being done with the Saudis, and yeah, well, you know, there's, there's, it highlights a couple of things. Like the the one was that the Senate of America cancelled that twenty million or billion dollar deal for weapons, and Trump vetoed it. Yeah, and then the sort of you know going back to World Health, you know, Forum, World Economic Forum, all that sort of. World Economic Forum got hosted. It was it Davos in the desert? Um, yeah, in in Saudis, but like they're at the at the UN um, tribunal, telling all this information, and nothing gets done. And you're like, 
And these are the same people that run the WHO. You're like, what the? Sure. This, this... And then because America can't get oil out of Russia and, and like energy out of there, that they, they asked Saudi if they would like lower the price of oil and start pumping them more oil. And they told them to go and get fucked. They're like, no. Yeah. <laughs> interesting. Cool. Well, Very interesting. I don't, I don't know the answer, but yeah. I'm just, I don't have answers. I've just it, got questions. I've just got so many questions. <laughs> well, it's the same as, you know, um, Jamal Khashoggi is like, gosh, like, and that, and that like comes to the question of like, what is, what is justice and like, what is it for? Like the, his, his wife to be knows what happened. His, his family in Saudi Arabia, well, that's our thing. Do, do his family in Saudi Arabia know what happened? Do they even know that he's dead? Because they would know, I'd say so for sure, yeah. But, and, it, and then it's like, are his family in Saudi Arabia okay and continuing to live their life because they were kind of semi dissociated from him anyway? Or have they all been rounded up and are they in the, the hotel with, <laughs> with everyone or are they in a jail or are they dead, you know? Sure, it's sure. Like, and what are the ramifications of? Like, like that guy. I can't remember the, the troll farming fellow. No, the guy who made the documentary. Oh yeah, um, same. Um, oh, what is his name? Brian Fogel. Yeah, Brian Fogel. So he had the number one best documentary of all time. Yeah. Like with the the bike race, whatever it's called, the um, uh, the one with the steroids and yeah, uncovering Icarus. You know, Icarus. Icarus. I was about to say he's he's pissed off the Russians and now he's pissed off the Saudis. <laughs> sure, but the number one documentary of all time, like like Netflix, fucking he got awards for it across the globe, and then Netflix is like, I'm not going to run that documentary, the next one, yeah. because it's like, what power does, like, where is it in Netflix's ideology that they're like? I can't run that because of the Saudis. Yeah. And like, the, what the, the fuck are you talking about? The other messed up one is um, like Amazon Prime and stuff, having it on the thing, but not having it on the streaming. And it's like they hacked Bezos's account. They. Yeah, they did. That's right. They own the Washington Post where Jamal Khashoggi worked and they let after he's you no know, they let Jamal Khashoggi run all those articles and somebody else runs some articles after he's dead yet hmm. at the same time they won't put the documentary on their streaming which has like so many subscribers you're like oh, what the? sure but you can buy it yeah and I bought yeah. it because of that you know, I think I think I, yeah. I stole it no I actually bought that one actually straight Good from on the you. website I'm pretty $6. sure dollars yeah, yeah. I can't, can't remember if that one and I think I I think that was uh, Rob Rob Wolf and Diana Rogers' movie that I bought on Apple, um, Sacred sure. Cow, which I'd already watched. It turned out, and I was quite yeah to watch it again. Yeah, that's yeah, another those one. Ones that... I'm happy. I'm happy to spend money on those things. They like the big little big farm and those sorts of things. Yeah, and that's another one that like won't get streamed. And you're like, that's weird. Yeah, mm. yeah. I'd be interesting to see if Food Lies can manage to get things streamed. Um, what uh, what's it called? Big Fat Surprise or Big Fat Lie or whatever it is. They, they've got two versions that haven't been haven't been streamed. You got to buy those. Sure, sure. Yet on yet on the uh, the flip side, you know, you can make a cowspiracy folks overnight cowspiracy folks overnight, and it gets promoted to yeah. your to your homepage. And you're like, yeah, fishspiracy of all of them. Fishspiracy. 
<laughs> yeah, they're all just full of shit. Yeah, it's amazing. Yeah, don't let don't let the truth get away. Have a good story, Andy. No, well, you can have the, the if you got the Department of fucking what what's it called Department in America of truth. now? Yeah, yeah, that's fucking nineteen eighty four. That's right. <laughs> that's what that's what oh, I love about now. Um, Liam is he, he's always quoting nineteen eighty four. I've had, I've actually had a chance to read it now. It's right there. Oh, you have. Yeah, I've got it in my car. I yeah. just keep it in my car so that when I'm sitting around, I can just read it. And yeah, it's, it's a it's a it's an interesting read, eh? It's sitting on top of Homo Deus and Sapiens. In the sure, end. they're good, yeah, good books. <laughs> and then it's but, funny. It's funny because I like I I listen to audio books. Yeah, and then I'll be like, "Fuck, that's a good book. I really like. I'm going to buy that in a." In you know, hardcover or soft cover or in the physical, and now I've just got this like collection of books over there that I haven't actually read, but I've You've listened, listened to. to them two or three times on, <laughs> on audio. Yeah, so it's like it's actually nice to have them, but you know, haven't flipped through them. And I think it's just one of those really. It's it's nice to be both supportive of the author and yeah, actually have something tangible as well. So yeah, yeah. How, how do you feel about like tangibility being a digital artist? Like you've obviously got your picture behind you of your fairy man, but like, how 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 do you feel about the tangibility space at the moment? Like you know, on the other end we've got the metaverse and NFTs, and then you're you're sort of creating stuff on a digital platform. That sure, I mean, there's something there's something amazing about when you actually do produce something and have it printed off and you look at it. Yeah. Because you know I've got ten thousand bits of artwork in my computer that I've made, but then it'll be somebody's birthday or something nice or somebody, you know, something will do, somebody will do something nice for me and they'll be like, oh, I better give them a present or whatever. Um, I think my headphones just went through there. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that when I do print stuff out and then look at it, I'm more, I'm more amazed by it because I'm, I'm more like, oh, Yeah, oh, no, you're back. You're back. Yeah. So you said you're more amazed by it. Well, I'm just amazed. It's just, it gives it life to a degree. Yeah. Like it doesn't have a life sitting inside my computer, but if I print it out and put it in a frame, then it's got a life and it yeah. goes on to live its journey in somebody else's wall and conversations that I don't know about. And um, yeah, which is really lovely. So. Yeah, it's good to make things tangible. Yeah. I think some of the guys that I know that are making money off NFTs will, um, yeah, they'll sell stuff with a real true life trinket or a thing with their NFT so that the person's got something to hold on to. So, yeah. Yeah, you're dropping out bad. Yeah. Now, we'll, we'll have, to, have to limit it there. Yeah, we've, we've gone through like three or four recordings with. Uh, yeah, it's a- Totally. I, I promise if you've if you've listened this far, I'm gonna this far I'm gonna have to buy the old uh, Zoom upgrade so I don't have this madness. <laughs> sure. Well, we've done well. We get this far. Yeah, Andy, you're a bloody legend. It's always good having you on. This is fourth time, I think. You and yeah, you and it. you and um, Jack will have to do another episode. I always enjoy you guys talking shit, and it's good. Yeah. I'm trying to get on number one, one, one for him because I'm like, oh, they're good numbers. Yeah, definitely. So there we go. Yeah.
Lovely. And right, uh, mate. open the borders. I need to find find my way to Melbourne. I've been saying this for like three or four years now. But uh, sure. yeah, make it make it happen. And yeah, yeah, and I want to have a shot of the tar. So we'll see how we go. Nice. Have a good evening, man. Love you, thanks, work. mate. Love you. Love you, work. Cheers. You. <laughs>